Oscar Cunningham, there it is. You know, those old preachers like that, you know, they preached the word. They, they didn't have a lot of recordings. You know, how many, how many men have preached and preached and, and they weren't able to just send it out. They wrote books and God used the books, but we've got an opportunity now where we can record stuff and put it out there. Yeah, if you think about it, like his work, part of the reason we're even here right. right now is a little bit of, of what he did. Right. Yeah. Had he not surrendered to preach, Amen. had such an influence in that area, Pastor Reggie might have never, I mean, I don't know this. Right. But there's a good possibility. God used it, yeah. Because of one man's willingness. Amen. That's a big part of the reason we're even here this morning. That's right. That's right. Amen. And I'm excited about it. What an opportunity that we have. Um, And the devil wants to steal that joy. The devil wants to steal the excitement about serving God. The devil doesn't want you to think of the opportunity that God has before you. And if he can squander that and make you, oh, this is miserable, make you to the point where, Oh, there's going to be another door slammed and get to focus on all that. Then uh, there's a blessedness. There's an excitement. There should be a joy for this. And there is. But that doesn't mean the spiritual battle doesn't exist. It just means we have victory in Christ in the spiritual battle. But what an opportunity. Um, Yesterday, we preached on a plea for soul winning. And we're not going to re-preach the entire message, although there's so much there um, of reasons biblically, spiritually, to be a witness for Christ. There's so much to it, and I just barely touched, honestly, the, the tip of the iceberg in the Bible on reasons to witness and the plea that God wants us to. But I think we got the point across that God desires His church to be a witness. Let's pray before we go any further. Lord God, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for this tent. We thank you, Lord, for your words, Lord. We thank you that we can read them, that you feed us, Lord God, that we can can have absolute truth in a world where nobody has any truth out there. They they don't know what they can believe. And, And many church people in the church, Lord God, don't even know that they have a Bible they can trust. Lord God, you've given us a Bible. You've given us the assurance that is 100% true, 100% accurate, Lord, and you've shown that to me. You opened my eyes to that truth, Lord. It's not my own ability, Lord, and you've given that truth to me, Lord God, that we can stand upon it, Lord, and I thank you for it, Lord. And Lord, I'm just humbly asking you right now, God, to open your words to us today, Lord God. Anoint us, Lord God. Give us, fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord God. And again, I want to ask you, Lord, for a renewed burden, Lord, for this place, Lord, for the souls, Lord God, that are lost and and wandering out there, Lord, in sin, Lord God. Help our hearts to break for them. Help us to love them, Lord God. And teach us, Lord, how to do that from your words, Lord God. Teach us um, from your Bible, Lord. Help me not to say anything I ought not to, Lord God. Just hide me behind the cross. Hide me behind your words, Lord God. Help me, Lord, to preach and to teach your words this morning, Lord, to edify and strengthen your church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So a quick recap is we read about in Ezekiel was an Old Testament type of warning about the sword coming to devour. It was to warn them, and God said that the blood was going to be required at their hands if they did not warn them. 
And we, as we were talking, uh, such a great opportunity that we have, but what a tremendous responsibility as well with that. Yeah. You know, it's one thing if you're sitting in a prison cell and you can't get out and you do your best to witness to those in your prison cell. It's another thing when we're out here and we have an opportunity, we have doors we can knock, we have the gospel we can preach freely, and God says he requires us to. Yeah. And when you don't, he says, hey, I told you to. And, and God is merciful, God is long-suffering. But if we ask God to, to use us, and we ask God to be, so, we, we realize we're soldiers for him, it's a serious business to turn that down. It's a serious business not to listen to God. You know, the sermon last night, the old paths of fearing God, is so in, uh, crucial to this right here. It applies to this. Amen. Fearing God applies to almost, it, it's, it's the first step right. of getting to the old paths. It's the first step to, to getting where God wants you to get. Ultimately, the reason that you give the gospel to the lost is because you fear God. And God said to, and because you fear God and because you obey him, God gives you a burden and a love that he has for them. But the fear of God comes first. And when people see that you fear God, they see that that fear is, is, is serious. And a problem today is when we do go out, if we don't fear God and we just flippantly I don't have to obey God. It doesn't matter how I live. It doesn't matter how I act. It doesn't matter how I talk. And, and the world sees that. The world sees your lifestyle. And, and we'll get into that a bit too, that you can't just, you, this happens time and time again where your lifestyle is completely contradictory to what you preach. You heard the saying, practice what you preach. And that matters. And that is a reason, a hindrance. We'll get into that for witnessing. Because you know, when you witness to somebody, then, then the magnifying glass just went, right on top of you. You witness that work, the magnifying glass will be on top of you to find out how you live. And I'm not saying we have to live perfect, but we ought to try to live in fear of almighty God that we are representations of God. We are supposed to be representing Christ and the magnifying glass will be on your life as your witness. And so people would rather not them even know they're a Christian. People would rather not go knock on a door because now the community is going to know Oh, they're fanatics, and they're going to put their magnifying glass on you and look for any fault, any flaw, and that's a good thing. Because when you do mess up, you can point to God. But that also should encourage us to fear God and be the best witness that we can be by his mercy and his grace and not be flippant about how we live, be flippant about how we talk. We We ought to be mindful of God. So our job is to warn others. Our job is to be a witness. And yesterday we, we talked about what a witness was. Anybody remember what a witness is? Anybody remember? What is a witness? Specifically, what's that? A, a testimony in court. A witness is somebody that saw something experienced something and said they can testify to it, right? And that's proclaiming what they saw, what they witnessed. And we gave an example of somebody that murdered somebody and witnessing that. We gave an example of somebody stealing something. If a car accident happened right here and there was a car stopped in that road and somebody plowed into the back of that car, we'd all be witnesses to it. And, And the police may come over and say, hey, can we use you as a witness to testify of what you saw? 
We are witnesses to what Christ has done for us. And that's important to understand, important to grasp, and we need to testify to the lost and dying world of what Christ has done. That is, that is one of the ways that we reach the loss is the testimony of the saints. It says we, they are won by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The Holy Spirit changes a person. You know, one of the things um, I, I think of, I can't help but to think of my dad. And the, the absolute 180 that God did in that man's life, my dad's life, was a testimony that made other people, what happened? And God will do that in our lives as a testimony to not bring glory to ourselves, but the Holy Spirit, because they know what that man used to be like. And when you testify what God did, it it affects people. All right, so some reasons to be a witness that we, we went over. We won't go over all again, but God desires it. It shows God's love. You can sit there and say, well, God, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. But if you sit there and do nothing, if you sit there and not follow it, then, then I can say I love you all day long, right? Yeah. I can sit there and say, oh, you're just the greatest guy. And then I, I sit there and I'll talk to you and I, and I treat you like dirt. Yeah. I can say I love you, and, but if I'm going to let you walk off a cliff, right. then I don't love you. Right. And the, the, what, what is with the dichotomy with the church right now is they say, oh, yeah, we love this lost and dying world, but they won't tell them the truth. Yeah. And that's where we're at. If we believe this book and we actually have a love and a burden for the lost and dying world, we've got to tell them, and it shows them God's love for it. And it glorifies God. Uh, turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to go quick today. We've got a lot of scripture to cover. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. We ought to glorify God. That should be a Christian's goal. That should be the goal of the church is to glorify God. That should be the goal of this ministry is to bring glory to God. No matter what we're doing ought to bring glory to God. Now there's things that you can do that will not bring glory to God. Watching that filthy TV will not bring glory to God. Watching your filthy phone does not bring glory to God. Reading books, secular books, does not bring glory to God. Listening to secular music does not bring glory to God. But when you witness and you testify for what God has done for you, that brings glory to God. And that's, that's something that should excite us as Christians is we get to bring glory, a, a filthy, filthy vessel. Yeah, that's right. Nothing. I'm nothing. I'm just dust. But I can glorify God Almighty that spoke the world into existence. You can glorify God as filth because you point to Christ. That's something worth shouting over. That's something worth getting excited over. But we can glorify God and being a witness. It's commanded. Turn real quick to Romans chapter 13, 12. Romans 13, 12. It's commanded, but we do not have long to give the gospel out. Time is passing away from us. And it, the, here we'll back up to, we'll back up to verse 10. Romans 13, 12. 
10. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. That's what Christ came to do is fulfill the law. He did that. Verse 11, and that knowing the time, that now is the high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. There's a truth there. There's a doctrine there. We're not going to get way deep into it, but I do want to point this out, is that we are currently, salvation is past, present, and future. And what I mean by that is the moment that you trust Christ and that you repent of your sins, call upon him, and Christ saves you and he fills you with this Holy Spirit, all the past sins that you have committed are now forgiven. Has to be. If those past sins were not forgiven, then you can never be saved from your sins. And Christ died for sins. So it's their past sins and all of your future sins. You don't have to keep re-getting saved. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but this is an important truth. And it presently saves you. Right where you're at, you are saved that moment. And it's hard to wrap your mind around, but that's how your salvation can be nearer. That's what it's talking about. And the time living on this earth is dwindling and fading away. And there will be a time where nobody will be saved anymore. Nobody will be rescued for their sins anymore. There will be no plea that they can make to God. Once the judgment is there, the judgment is final. Just the same way that Christ said it is finished when he forgave sins and, and put the sacrifice out, it will be finished for man to call upon God to save them. That'll be over. Now is the time. And God is saying, wake up. This is a lost and dying world. And now is the time to get the gospel out. And you're sitting there asleep. Especially, especially, and and, you know, there's, there's times it's easier to fall asleep than others. I have a hard time falling asleep in the car when my wife is driving. <laughs> I do. But if I'm tired enough, I can fall asleep, right? But it's harder to because I've got more on my mind, right? If we lived in a foreign country, I believe, where there was persecution of Christians and you had to watch your step and you lost your job and you're worried about going to prison, it'd be a little harder to fall asleep because your whole life is either going to be one, dedicated to Christ, or two, you're going to have to run from it and not, not even testify Christ because they'll lock you up, one or the other. But we live in a society where it's real easy to sleep. We've got a comfy bed. I fall asleep real quick when I've got a comfy bed and a fellow pillow. It's real easy to fall asleep. And we live in a comfy, cushy society where you can be a Christian if you want to. There's no repercussions. You can, you can go preach a tent revival. There's no repercussions. And I'm talking from our government. So it's real easy to fall asleep. And that's what we've seen the church do. The church has lost their burden for lost souls. And you know this by proof of raise your hand if you've had a Bible-believing Christian knock your door to give you the gospel. I have, actually. You have? It's, it's pretty rare. Now, raise your hand if you've had a Mormon, Jehovah Witness, or Church of Christ knock your door. Just, I, I, I don't know. I can't count how many times I've seen a Jehovah Witness, Church of Christ knock my door a Mormon. It's again and again and again and again. Now, why is that? We, the church has lost the burden. They're asleep. They're asleep at the wheel. 
They've got the truth. You've got the truth, and yet you're asleep. And that's what he's saying here. Wake up. We've got a job to do, and the time is running out. It said it is high time. We've all heard that expression. It's biblical. It is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly, as in the day, not riding in drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. See, here's the deal. If you're going to be a witness, and we're going to get into this, if you're going to be a witness for Christ and testify to Christ, you've got to walk honestly. You've got to walk with Christ. That's a fact. You've got to put those things off. They are slowing you down. And we're going to get into that a little more. But sin will slow you down and take you right out. And you won't even see it happening because you've fallen asleep. And a good indication of that is get honest with yourself. And the burden you have for the loss a lot of times is related to the sin that you've allowed in your life. And when you address the sin in somebody else's life and point at the Savior, it hurts you because you're in sin. And so you find yourself out of it. You got to put that off. You got to put it off. And the only way to put it off is to go to God in repentance. And the church must start there. High is the time. We'll hit one more. Uh, Turn to Psalms 126. 126. And we, we also hit that in yesterday morning with Psalms 51. Talks about this very thing. And in fact, we'll, we'll grab that real quick. I believe God has me on that for a reason. Psalms 126, there's a joy that comes from serving God. There's a joy that comes from giving out the gospel. All right. We'll read the whole whole chapter here of Psalms 126. When the Lord turned again the cap- captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. We were a moth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. And then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. Has the Lord done great things for you? Amen. Has the Lord done great and mighty things in your life? He has me. I've got a family right here. That's the Lord. Without the Lord having done great things, I wouldn't have a family. Without the Lord having done great things, I wouldn't have a Bible. I would not have salvation. The Lord has done great things for us, and the world sees that. The Lord hath done great things for them. This is is them looking at what the the people of the Lord and what God has done for them. And the Lord hath done great things, verse 3, for us, wherefore we are glad. We ought to be glad about what God has done for us. But part of that joy, part of that gladness is sharing it. Verse 4, turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Verse 5, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. We were talking yesterday about having a broken heart for lost sinners. That song, and we're going to get to the verse that song is, is based on. It said, can someone hand me that hymnal and I'll just read it. But um, it's so sowing and weeping. It was page 71, 72, I think. Yeah. Get it right here. These old hymns have biblical truth all through them. 
And I want I want to make sure we get this biblical truth because we don't want to just dwell on, oh, we got to be crying our eyes out and bawling our eyes out nonstop because the world is lost and going to hell. We ought to have a heart that burdens and has a burden for lost souls. And we should have actual weeping tears and a heart that says, God, they're going to hell. God, they're, they're covered in sin and our heart should break. But there's also a joy in planting the seed. And both are there. You know, that song that we were just singing, bringing in the seeds, it says, going forth with weeping, sowing for the master. Though the loss sustained, our spirit often grieves. When our weeping's over, and it will be one day, he will bid us welcome. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. And this, this all ties in together. We have a short amount of time to sow. We have a short amount of time to get the seed out there. And we can sow the seed while we're weeping. But look at this. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. When you see that lost sinner take hold of Christ and the Holy Spirit comes down from on high and indwells that man when they repent of their sins and call upon God to save them, there's not a greater joy, there's not time better well spent than giving the gospel to that man or to that lady. What a joy that is. And you see, they have eternal life. They went from dead to quicken with eternal life. That's what sowing is. But we sow in weeping because sometimes those seeds we'll never see sprout. Sometimes we'll see them sprout and then we'll see them fade away. God takes care of that. And we're going to get into that later on in this message, Lord willing, on the Holy Spirit's part in this and and the sower's part, the church's part in this. But they both go together. One cannot be done without the other, biblically. Um, so we ought to sow with tears. We ought to sow in weeping at a lost and dying world, or you will not be sowing very long if you, if you do not have a burden, but the joy verse six, he that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. You know, we will never know the effect of knocking doors. We'll never know the effect of our preaching. You know, I, I can barely recall. I can't recall the name of D, the person that won D.L. Moody, the man. Do you remember his name? I know he was a shoekeeper. I worked at a shoe shop, wasn't it? A school teacher? Sunday school teacher? Who was the, the shopkeeper? Okay, shoe salesman too. I don't remember his name. Many people don't, and that's one of the ones we do know his name. You can look at men... The, the man that won the Whit, Whitcliffe, George, jo- Jonathan Edwards, and we can go down the list. And a lot of times we don't know who won them to the Lord, who gave them the gospel. Sometimes we might know their name, but they might not even know the work that happened from. We don't know what's going to come out when you plant seed. Right. Sometimes I plant a crop and it, it does nothing. <laughs> Very little. It comes up and then the sun co- and it dies. And I don't know what the, what each crop's going to do. It's based off the weather. It's based off of the rain we get. And it's based off of how good the ground is. But I know this much that if my cows are going to eat, I better get seed in the ground. And I know this much that if I'm to please God and be a Christian and follow God, then I'm going to need to sow. Amen. That's our job. That's our responsibility that God gave to the church is to sow. 
sow the seeds and we sow them in our, all right. So sowing is always directed. Well, not always, but most of the time in scripture, it is, it is related to giving out the gospel and seed is the gospel. It is the word, which is the gospel. Uh, turn with me real quick. Well, you guys know this first Peter chapter one, 23 talks about an incorruptible seed being born again of an incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. It's talking about being born again. That's salvation. The gospel comes from the incorruptible word of God. And while you're turning over there, turn to Romans chapter 10 as well. 10, 16. Romans chapter 10, 16. And if somebody has 1 Peter 1, 23, if you'd stand and read it. Amen. He said, born of incorruptible seed by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. You know, there's that little picture on, on those John and Romans of the man just throwing Bibles, planting the seed. And that's what it is. We're just planting the seed and we do it in weeping. And then when that crop comes up, we rejoice. So there's both, there's a weeping and a rejoicing, but our job is to sow the seed and bring in the sheaves. Uh, Romans 10, 16 says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah saith the Lord who hath believed our report. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God is what wins souls. The word of God is the truth. It is the seed that you are sowing. And so we need to sow the seed. And one of the failures for doing it is lack of a burden. We talked about that, a hardened heart. We talked about that and we looked at how Christ had compassion. Christ had weeping. Amen. He was a physician to his to the patients, if you would. He's a shepherd to the sheep, and he would go chase that sheep. God had compassion for lost souls. Jesus had compassion for lost souls. We looked at Paul, and I get a hold of this because I do not have this mindset. I struggle with this. Paul in Romans 9 says, I would that I were accursed if my people would get saved. He said, I'd be, and and Paul wasn't ignorant of what he was saying. Paul realized to be a curse would be to take on the sin and to to have it on himself and spend an eternity in hellfire. And and his heart broke so much for the people, for his people. His love for the people was so much that he said, God, I'd sign up for it if you'd save my people. Lord, help us. I'm so far removed from that. I wouldn't sign up to take on damnation, eternal damnation, so some lost person, my people, would be saved. I'm so far from that. God, help us to have a burden for lost sinners. That's an example that we had. Jeremiah, turn to Jeremiah real quick. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 1. Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes were a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. That's Jeremiah's burden that he had for his people. He said he was going to, he wanted to weep day and night. His eyes, just fountains of tears. That was his prayer to God for the burden he had for his people. We need a burden. Our hearts have grown hard. We need a burden. 
God's men, when God uses a man, when God sends you out, he gives you a burden for those lost. And, and if you notice here, he says, oh, that my head were. This is his prayer that God would change his heart to put his heart in such a way because Jeremiah struggled with this and so did Paul. Every man is going to struggle with this. I don't want to put out a picture that, that these men all the time never, never were grievous with the, with the lost. Jeremiah actually got to the point, he said, I'm quitting, I'm done. These people aren't going to listen. Right. And his bones burned on, got on fire of the word of God that was in him. It's got to be a work of God inside of you to give you a burden for these people. You will not naturally love people like you ought to. You will not naturally love your own people. It's hard to love your own family sometimes when they reject God. The only way you'll love them like Christ loved them, who's our ultimate example, is if God gives us that burden. And you see Jeremiah here praying that God would give him tears like a fountain, that he would be up all day and all night weeping for his people. That should be our prayer. We have hardened hearts. We need to pray to God continually. It's not a check mark. I'm done starting out this morning. Yeah. It's you go to one house, you start with a burden. They, they reject Christ. They blaspheme God. And your heart begins to harden like it, Jehovah witnessed the other day. Yeah. And we've got to go to God. And say, God, and remind ourselves, as we, we did, thank the Lord, that God loves that person. And we don't know what all God's doing with that person, but God loves that person. We have to go to God and say, God, give us a burden. Give us those tears for those people. But a hardened heart will, will cause you to neglect being a witness. It'll cause you, cause you not, to have, not to be a witness. Because you look at the scripture, you go, why in the world will we not be witnessing? It's so clear that, it's, that we're supposed to be doing this. It's so clear that God loves the lost. This is not a complicated doctrine here. Yeah. But yet it's, it's one of the, the, the fewest doctrines that's actually followed in the Bible. Right. I know there's a lack of Bible reading in our churches. But I'd say there's even more of a lack of being a witness for Christ. But yet it's a plain doctrine. And yet you see we're not doing it so and one of the things is we never go. We never go. And we ought to wait on the power of God to go. But God will send his Holy Spirit to you if you're saved and you're calling upon God with in line of his word. Okay? You're not praying against God to say, God, give me a burden to witness. That's in line with his word, and our prayers ought to in line with our words. And God, and I don't know how all of this works, but God requires that we pray and ask him for a burden. That our hearts are lined with God and saying, God, give me the burden that your word speaks of. We need to ask. Don't take it for granted. Another failure or another reason why we neglect it, and we talked a little bit about this, is... We, we say, okay, our life is a substitute for actually witnessing. And there, there's nothing biblical about that. Yeah. It's not a substitute. Right. Living a good life is never a substitute. And we won't go through all of that. But we ought to have an urgency. We ought to have a burden, and we ought to go and, and sow the seed. All right. We're going to deal with some excuses that were listed in that book. And if there, you know of more excuses, the book I'm speaking of is, is that book on witnessing by Brother James Knox.
he threw out some good excuses there. And some of them hit me square on where I've said, yeah, I've used that excuse. And others, I was like, where'd that come from? But the, uh, see, the devil knows where you're at and attacks in different ways. Right. And here's the, at the end of the day, you can have all the excuses in the world. What does God say? But God will knock your excuses out from under you so fast it'll make you spin. One of the biggest excuses I've heard and I've struggled with was not to be, tra- I'm not trained enough. I don't know all the, the answers. I don't have the elegant, uh, eloquence. Ele- uh, point, case in point. <laughs> eloquence, is that, that's right. All right. Anyways. <laughs> I don't know the, the Bible well enough. Yeah. And so what you'll, what you'll use is say, well, okay, if I go out and witness and then I'm not able to answer the questions that they have, I will be misrepresenting Christ right. and therefore I don't go. Yeah. And so here's the reality. Here's the, here's the issue with every excuse you're going you're gonna to land under. An excuse is just that. It's an excuse. Right. And an excuse will never change. Now, if you have a problem with, with you're not learned in the word of God enough and you truly are concerned that you won't have answers, I'll, I'll tell you, you won't have all the answers ever, ever. There's not a person that has all the answers for everything ever. Yeah. And you can be 90 years old and still searching and you will not have all the answers. The depths of God is greater than anything a human mind can ever understand. We're talking about God Almighty and how he said everything. I I can't begin to fathom how it all works. But I do know this. We've got the Holy Spirit that guides us and leads us. I do know this, that there's been times witnessing where God would pull Scripture up from way back that I've read and give them to me as I'm witnessing. Has that ever happened to you while witnessing? God does that. That is not an excuse to be lazy and say, well, then I don't need to study the word of God because the Holy Spirit's just going to intervene and give me scripture. It's not how that works. You have to study the word of God. Turn with me real quick to Proverbs chapter two. And I'll tell you this too, that one of the best ways to learn is to fall flat on your face, go to God for help, and God gives you the answers. He'll open his words to you. He'll show you where you're short at. I remember when I first started witnessing down at the University of Florida, um, we'd have guys come up that were evolutionists, and they were smart. I mean, they, they had biology and everything else that they had studied, and they wanted to look at you know how old the earth was and how foolish I was because the, what about this? And I didn't know all the answers to all that. Yeah. But I'll tell you one thing I do know. I do know. And it's the only thing that matters is the gospel. I knew the gospel. And I knew that no matter what they thought of how old the earth was and what bones that they found that they misdated and all the lies that they told about. And I didn't know all the scripture verses to go to to prove that God says the earth is 6,000 years old. I knew that's what people have said, but I couldn't go and actually show you the timeline. Okay. And, And there's other verses in scripture that help refute evolution. I didn't know them, but I knew the gospel and you stick to the gospel. Amen. Okay. If you, uh, let me give you this. Um, we've all been here. We know how to get here. Right. I know I, I, I'm horrible with directions, but I know, I think that's highway. Why? 
I know you come down Highway Wyatt. I know it leads into St. Roberts. Okay? I could get here if I can find Highway Y, and I could tell you how to find Highway Y, take I-44. I've been here. I know how to get here. I don't know every way here, though. And if, if I was coming, giving somebody directions from over there, I could tell them, hey, you, go, you know where Highway Y is? You go down Highway Y. Yeah. Okay? Right. And I, I, because I've been here, I know how to get here. And I haven't been here very long, but I know how to get here. Right. It may take me a second, but I know how to get here. If you've been saved, and you, I, I, what bothers me is when somebody says, oh, yeah, I'm saved, I believe in God, and you ask them how, you ask them why, and they cannot tell you how they were saved. That's a problem. That is God exposing to them that they are not saved. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to know all the answers of everything around here as far as every street and road and the best and fastest way to get here every single time. But I know how to get here. And the longer I spend in this area and the more we go knock doors, the better I'm going to know about how to get here. But I can point how to get here off a highway wide. Does that make sense? Are you making the application here? So... The longer you know God, the more you study his words, you're going to know the different routes. You're going to know more answers. But you know what matters is that you're in line with God. You fall behind your face and ask God to help you, and God will help you, even though you don't have all the answers. It's not a good excuse. And if you're really concerned about not knowing the answers, you won't sit on your, your tail end and let the world go to hell. You'll get in the book. And as you get in the book and as you get in the word of God, you'll get more of a burden as you study the word of God to go tell us people about God. But here's what happens. People sit there with the excuse and say, well, I don't know enough. I don't have the training. I don't have the eloquence. And they never go. Because it's just an excuse. Let's knock that excuse out real quick. Learn the word of God. Memorize the word of God. Proverbs chapter 2, we'll start in verse 1. My son, are you God's son? My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, hide them, memorize them, hide them in their heart. Nobody can take something that God has put in your heart. So that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, criest after knowledge and lift up thy voice for understanding, lift up thy voice for understanding. God likes volume. But, and here's why. Here's why. It's not to bring glory to yourself for volume. Right. A broken man will cry. Amen. That's a fact. Yeah. You know how you know that's a fact? Let me bust your finger on here. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to cry. Or if you get scared so bad, so if one of your kids were running out into that road when a car was coming, you would scream your full head off. Get all back over here. If you realize the condition that you're in and you're calling upon God, you will cry unto him. And you won't care what anybody thinks, just like you won't care what anybody thinks. If your kid was in the road and a car was coming to hit them, and you wouldn't care that Brother Sutton might think you've lost your marbles. It wouldn't bother you because you love your child and you're crying unto him not to get hit. Because you're urgent, you see the need. If you see your need before God Almighty that you need knowledge and you need God's help and you need God's wisdom, you will cry upon him and say, God, help me. I need your help. I'm desperate. And it won't matter what anybody thinks. And you cry upon God. And God commands us to because he made us this way. 
He knows our emotion. He knows our mind. He knows our heart. And he knows when you get serious, when you need help, you'll cry. So he says, cry. It's also humbling. Because everybody will look at you like you're a weirdo. And God says, look like a weirdo. You cry for me for help, to me for help. And God hears that cry and he'll teach you. He says, ask of me for wisdom and he giveth liberally and abradeth not. He's not going to look at you, brother Josh, and say, well, you're not, you know, so-and-so with a theological degree. He didn't do that. Brother Gabe, you asked for God for wisdom. He didn't say, oh, well, you know, you're just, you're leading songs, so you don't need. No, he doesn't, he won't look at you and say, well, this is out here in the middle of nowhere. And so, no, you're his child. Look at that, my son. If thou wilt receive my words, if your heart towards God says, God, help me. I want to give out the gospel. I want to know your words. I want to hide them in my heart. I need your help. You cry to God. You pour your heart out to him. You lift up your voice. That's what the Bible says. That's God's command to us. And he's not playing games. You lift your voice up to God. You cry upon him. You say, God, I need help. I do not know your words like I ought to. Help me, Lord, to understand. Help me to hide them in my heart. And he hears you. Verse 4, if thou seekest her as silver, and searches for her as hid treasures. God knows where your heart is, don't he? Yeah. God knows if he was paying you 100 bucks an hour, $150 an hour to memorize this Bible, you'd do it. He said, you seek after her more than silver, more than hid treasures. The problem, you know, I heard a preacher say this one time as a young man, and it did, it, it, it affected me and exposed where my heart was. He said, hey, if I'd pay right now everybody in this room $20,000 for every lost soul that got saved, how many people would go out? And the reality is most everybody would storm the houses and the streets saying, hey, you, now to be all for the wrong reasons, I don't want you to take this wrong, but it exposes where your heart is. Right. And God knows that. He says, hey, This is more precious than silver. This is more precious. His words is more precious. It's a treasure to us. Verse five, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord. And out of the fear of the Lord will propel you to do this. It'll propel you to learn the word. It'll propel you to go give out the gospel. It starts with the fear of the Lord. How can we preach beyond the old past if we don't do it? We need to get the fear of the Lord back in us. The Bible constantly ties us back to fearing God. God is to be feared. And find the knowledge of God. Fear the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. That's my father there. He's the one that gives the wisdom. So don't sit around twiddling your thumbs and give the sorry low down rotten stinking dirty excuse that you're not you don't have the training or the eloquence or the knowledge to go give out the gospel and not pick up the word of god you pick up the word of god you study that thing you learn it you hide it in your heart you cry to god for wisdom and god says he'll give it to you We'll go to one more here. Actually, 
uh, Proverbs 3 here. Look at verse 13. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom. Findeth wisdom. You got to go looking for it. You got to find it. Proverbs 3.13. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all these things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. That's wisdom from God. We don't value it like we ought to, do we? Real quick, turn to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. First and second Timothy. Titus chapter 1, verse 9. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. You hold fast the faithful word that you have been taught. Okay, God is a teacher. There's preaching that God uses to teach as well. That's what we're doing this morning. And if you don't zone out in church and wait for the sermon to be over and you take notes and you hold on to that teaching and hold fast the faithful word that's been taught, the teaching better line up with the Bible, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. And it's crucial, we're going to get into this again, of the Holy Spirit's part in convincing the gainsayers and the church's part, the the believer's part. Both have an important role, and we're going to get into that. One, again, cannot be done without the other. But the point I want to drive home is that you learn, you've been taught you hold on to it, and you use the sound doctrine that God teaches you out of his word to go exhort and convince the gainsayers. That's what the Bible says here. Now, there's, there's also an excuse that that's just not my gift. That's just not my gift to go give out the gospel, to go be a witness. I'm not talking about preaching. I'm not talking about teaching. Turn with me real quick to Acts. Acts chapter 1. I'm not talking about the... God does give spiritual gifts. There's no doubt about that. And he'll give you an emphasis on the spiritual gift. Pastor Reg has been teaching on that. It's been a good teaching. I've learned a lot through it. It's been good, and it's good to learn the spiritual gifts. Witnessing, being a soul winner, testifying of what God did for you doesn't require a certain spiritual gift. You you get that. You're just testifying and witnessing. You're a witness to what God did, and you're testifying about what God did for you, to you, filling you with the Holy Spirit, and because of that, You proclaim what God did. It could be talking to somebody in a parking lot. It could be handing somebody a gospel track and witnessing to them at a store. It could be going to a house. It could be on a street corner. It could be anywhere. You're testifying about what God did for you. You do not need a specific gift from God to do that. The Holy Spirit inside of you will perform that. You're just testifying to what God did. And I want you to get hold of that because that is an excuse, a lie from the devil that he'll give you. Oh, that's not you. Let that be somebody else. Let that be the preacher. Let that be that guy that goes door knocking. And that is a lie. 
It's for you. Um, and Acts 1.8 here, uh, we'll back up a little bit. Verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Ye might be baptized? No. no. You probably be baptized? No. Ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. The Holy Ghost will fill you. And look at what this brings about. Where, when, they, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, perk your ears here, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and ye shall be witness unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That includes right where we're at here today. So when you receive, listen to this, you beg God, you pray to God, you cry out to God to fill you with the Holy Ghost, to give you that burden. And if God gives you that burden, when he gives you that burden, he says, ye shall be witness. And that's not to a certain category. He didn't say, oh, this is only for these men over here. In order to get to the uttermost part of the earth, that was everybody that is a Christian that gets baptized by the Holy Ghost. If you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost indwelling you and giving you a burden for a job that God gives us, and we've already covered this in depth, that God commands us to go share the gospel, to be a witness, then God will give you the ability to do that by giving the Holy Ghost on you, filling you, giving you a burden, and sending you out. And ye shall be a witness. And it's not just a section of the church. It's the church. So don't listen to the devil's lies when he says that's not my gift because that's exactly what that is. It's a lie straight from the pit of hell. And it's an excuse. And once that excuse gets knocked out, and here's where it comes down to. If your heart isn't right towards God and you're not seeking God and you don't fear God, there'll always be another excuse. There'll always be another excuse. If your heart gets right to God, God will get rid of these excuses for you. Another one that will hit is it's a waste of time and I don't see a difference. The devil will tell you that lie too. And if you listen to that one, it'll knock you right out. Because there's going to be times where it does seem like nothing happened when I knocked doors. There'll be times when it seems like nothing happened when I preached. And that's when you've got to go back to God told me to cast the seed. Look, let's turn real quick. We'll, we'll turn to you guys know this, but we need to be reminded of it. Matthew chapter 13. And we'll get to the message here in a little bit. <laughs> Matthew chapter 13. You guys know this, the sower, right? The same day, verse 1, Matthew 13, when went Jesus out of the house and sat by the sea of, seaside, and a great multitude were gathered together unto him, so that he went to, into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore, and he spake many, of the, many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. 
First, that's where it starts. The sower has to go forth to sow. God will send you out to go sow. We talked about that. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell on stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away, and some fell among thorns, and, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. You know, one thing that always gets me with, with this is when I'm sowing seeds and planting seeds, you know, there are patches where I'm like, man, there's a lot of weeds there. <laughs> you know, I didn't get rid of all those weeds. It doesn't prevent me from sowing seeds there. If you got a field to go plant, and that's the field that you decided you're going to go plant, you go plant that field. Yeah. Period. And a store. And if anything, you'll sow more seeds. But you don't say, "Well, I'm going to just skip it and give up on it." Yeah. You know, even if the crop doesn't come up. In fact, if I have a bad crop, many times the next year I plant more because I'm down on hay. Yeah. If you go out. And you get rejection and you don't see the crop or the crop looks like it's failing. You get back out there. It's not an excuse to sit at home. If anything, it's the opposite. But you've got to get in line with the Bible. Notice the sower does not stop sowing. But the other fell, uh, verse 8, but the other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Boy, that, that, that applies to exactly what we're doing here. And what I'm trying to say is don't get discouraged by the results, but also don't use it as an excuse to say it's a waste of my time. God forgive us if you use that excuse to say it's a waste of my time, it doesn't do any good. It's the best thing you can be doing. God does not ever fault the sower here. In fact, if you're sowing seeds and you're getting out the word, you're pleasing. Remember, it's under giving glory to God. That's, that's, it's obedience to God, giving glory to God and honor to God is got to be your reason. And then it knocks that excuse right out of the park. All right. And we're going to move on from there. There's a lot of excuses, but again, um, God will wipe those excuses out. And, it, and really, at the end of the day, if you've got excuses, first of all, be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. Come, come to the point where you say, God, examine me. Find what, where I'm at. Why do I not have a burden? God, help me. You cry upon God. And God will rid those excuses from you. They'll just be gone. God will take them away. And if your heart's set towards, I don't want to obey you, God. I do not fear you, God. I'm doing my own thing, sprinkled with a little Christianity. You'll never come to an end of excuses. I hope you get that today. And we all struggle with excuses. All right. So the Holy Spirit's part and the church's part. All right. Now, we're going to get into a little bit of teaching here. You got one side, you, and I, I don't want to get into all this. You call them Calvinists. You call them whatever you want to that says, okay, we're going to let the Holy Spirit do everything. And we talked a little bit about this. You have the same thing with sound doctrine or learning doctrine and witnessing. 
the same way you have with the Holy Spirit here. One sits there and says, well, the Holy Spirit's going to call him. The Holy Spirit's going to draw him. I don't have to do a thing. And I've seen that close up and personal where they say, you know what? If he was called, if he, if he, was, if he was elected, then I don't need to do anything. And that's not biblical. You will not find that in the Bible as an excuse for you to sit at home, do nothing, because you're going to let the Holy Spirit go do all the work. Show me that in the Bible. It ain't there. There's not a single example of it in the scripture for you to say, okay, I'm going to just let the Holy Spirit go do all the drawing. Now, the Holy Spirit does draw. And the Holy Spirit calls. And we're going to look at scripture on that as fast as we can to get through this. But it's Bible, and it's important that you get a hold of this because it'll rock you when you say, okay, well, the Holy Spirit's doing the work. I'm going to sit and do nothing. Or you'll be on the flip side of it, and you won't need the Holy Spirit, and you'll think it's all on you to go give out the gospel and to convince sinners, and you'll leave the Holy Spirit behind, and you'll say, I don't need him. It's all on me. God gave me this, and I'm such a, you'll go one of two ways. You'll realize you're such a, you'll think you're such a great hotshot because You've got, you, you're able to convince and talk people into salvation, which will be a false convert. If the Holy Spirit's not involved, it'll be a false convert. You get that? You cannot do it in your own. Or you'll get so discouraged because you left the Holy Spirit behind and you'll give them the gospel. You'll say all the right words. It won't have any effect on them because the Holy Spirit isn't there because you didn't call up, you didn't follow the Bible. You left God out of it. You said, I'm going to do this for not for God's glory, for my glory, because I'm such a great soul winner. And when it doesn't work, you'll be discouraged and you'll say it's, it's useless, it's pointless. So I want you to get a hold of this truth because it, it takes both. It takes obedience, of, of obedience from the church, from God's people to go give the gospel out. And it also takes the indwelling and the work of the Holy Spirit together. That's how God set it up. That's what his words say. We're going to get into that today, right now, Lord willing. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. And this is going to deal on the Holy Spirit calling. And the Holy Spirit does call. Revelation 22, we'll we'll pick up here. And verse 17, and the spirit, and the spirit, you get that? Who's the spirit? The Holy Spirit and the bride. Who's the bride? Who's the bride? The church. The church, listen to me, is the bride of Christ. So the spirit and the bride say, help me out here. The spirit and the bride say, come on, y'all kids. Listen up here. The spirit and the bride say, come. Come. And let us let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. But who's saying come here? It starts with the Spirit. That's what it started with. That's not an accident. The Holy Spirit is the start of it. He's the one that indwells you. And the bride both say, Come. The bride is the church. The Holy Spirit uses the church and dwells the church and causes the church to go out and say, come. That's giving the gospel out. Turn real quick. You guys know this one, Acts 2.38. Lord, help me not to get sidetracked here. When I said Acts 2.38, 
I don't know if your ears shot off or not. If you've dealt with apostolic Pentecostals, they probably did. <laughs> this is their favorite verse to go to for water baptism. Lord, help me. Um, we'll start in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, Acts 2:37, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And I want you to get a hold of this. This wasn't a person walking up to somebody and with their little knife and pricking them in their heart. Okay? They weren't physically going up to somebody, pulling out their pocket knife and pricking them in the heart. What do you think pricked their heart? The Holy Spirit Spirit was able, no no, no fleshly wound, no physical wound here. The Holy Spirit came in and pricked their heart. That means it hurt. Something to be pricked. It's like a real bad pinch a knife where you're jabbing it in. The Holy Spirit did the work here of pricking their heart. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? That's a work of the Holy Spirit. But there's God's men right there that have been preaching. See how they go together? They're preaching the gospel. The brethren, right? The church is preaching the gospel. The Holy Spirit came in there and pricked their heart. Now, if they were not there to preach the gospel, they wouldn't have been able to say, brethren, what what are we supposed to do? God sent them. Now, they don't get the glory for pricking the heart, now do they? Because you don't have that ability. And God will show you that you don't have that ability. I can't make somebody call upon God. I can't do it physically, mentally. You don't have the intellect. You don't have the ability Now, you may get somebody to have an emotional appeal, and that's what we've seen in churches all over the place where they left the Holy Spirit out, they left the gospel, they get the emotional appeal, and then you turn around and ask that person, where are they going to spend eternity? And they say, I hope heaven. You say, what are you putting your hope or trust in? And they say, I don't know. The way you get that is by having an emotional appeal, but you do not have the pricking of the Holy Spirit. Because if the Holy Spirit comes in and pricks somebody's heart and gives them new life, they'll say, I'm trusting the blood of Jesus Christ. And you can see a night and day difference. All right, verse 38, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall, look at this, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You see the Holy Ghost there? You see the church. When I say the church, I'm talking about the saved body of Christ that is in Christ. Okay? So they're both there working together, and they receive the Holy Ghost. Real quick, I'm I'm not going to get into too much depth on this, but we do have to hit this because it's around all over the place, and, and God won't let me let it go away. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized. Notice that it does say baptized every one of you for the, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And so what they say here is you need to one, be baptized and two, in the name of Jesus Christ, you receive Christ in order to be saved for the remission of sins. If you want remissions for your sins, you must be baptized. You must call upon Jesus. And they link those together, and that's how one of the big ways they work baptism in with salvation. And I don't want anybody here getting fooled by that, because they, when they come across, they come across extremely convincing, because they've been taught this. It's a false gospel, and they're slick. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says they're smooth sayers. 
And so I want you to get this because it's really simple. What do you get a speeding ticket for? Feet, speeding, right? So that means you were speeding and they gave you a speeding ticket for your speeding. Okay? You receive Jesus Christ. Okay? And he'll give you remission of sins for receiving Christ. You get that? It's for doing that. Because you, re- you had the remission of sins. It's what you did. You got the remission of your sins for receiving Christ. Okay? Because you receive Christ, you then get baptized. It's for doing that. All right. We're not going to get too much detail on that. There's a lot there. But that is one of the verses that they, every apostolic I've ever been to will go to and go to and go to and go to. And they barely, a lot of them don't know any other scripture. It's preached so heavy. And if you can explain that to them like that, it, it will. Oh, I got a speeding ticket for speeding. It's not the other way around. You don't get baptized first. You don't, you don't, you don't get the speeding ticket and then you go speed. You get the speeding ticket because you sped. It's, it's like a because there. But for is right. It, we use it all the time. You did this for this. All right, we'll move on. All right, so the Holy Spirit calls. He pricks the heart, and he also reproves. Go to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Where are we at here on time? All right, we got a lot to get through. Lord, help me to know when to stop and when to keep going. Acts chapter 16, he reproves. Um, this is what the Holy Spirit does. Uh, we'll start verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go. This is Jesus Christ. He goes away. For I, for if I go not away, look at this, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Do you believe that today? The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, will come unto you. All right, we do not see Christ physically on earth, right? He ascended, he left, he went up. But he sent what? What did he send? I want you to get a hold of this. He sent the comforter, the Holy Spirit. You're not here by yourself, all right? He sent the comforter unto you. And in verse eight, when he has come, that's the comforter, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. This is a work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit does the reproving. The Holy Spirit does uh, allow somebody to see their sin. That's right. All right, so it's not a matter of, did I do a good enough job convincing them they were a sinner? Although we use the scripture, we sow the word. Right. We sow the word, and then the Holy Spirit says, hey, see that? You're a sinner, and convicts them of their sin. He's the one that does the reproving. He's the one that says, hey, you see that Christ's righteousness? It's not a matter of, did I say it too loud? Did I say it too? You follow God and you have the comforter inside of you and he takes over. And he's the one that's going to show that sinner where he's at. He's going to be the one that reproves the sinner in his heart. He's going to be the one that shows them, hey, you're in judgment. You learn the Bible. You preach the Bible. You stick with God's word and the Holy Spirit does the work. I hope you see that. Look at this. He reproves them of sin, verse 9, because they believe not on me. This is what 
the Holy Spirit does, the Comforter does. Verse 10, of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more, of judgment, because the Prince of the world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them. How be it, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. Praise the Lord. We've got a comforter. We've got a Holy Spirit that will guide us into truth. What is truth? Thy word is truth. Just look over John 17, 17, right? I think I'm right. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We have the truth. You know what this world does not have? The truth. You know who will lead them to the truth? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit sends us. But he doesn't leave you when he sends you. Just like he didn't leave you when Christ ascended. He sends you with the Holy Spirit that does the convicting work. It does the drawing work. And it guides them into truth. It's not your knowledge. It's not your great ability. It's the Holy Spirit. We are his workmen. We are the bride. Just following the master. He's the one that guided us in the truth. He's the one that will lead this world into truth. What he's wanting is laborers that will follow the master. But I hope you see here how the Holy Spirit and the church, the bride, is working together here. He doesn't send the Holy Spirit out all by himself. And he doesn't send the church out all by himself. It's a work together to have true biblical salvation. To have a true biblical witness of Christ, testifying of Christ. It's a work of the Holy Spirit and a work of the church. He's the one that does shows them their, the judgment's coming, the righteousness of Christ, and their lack of righteousness and the sin. And it's done by the word of God. It's spelled out so clearly in the Bible that a young child can understand it. Verse 14, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine. He shall show it unto you. Who does that? The comforter will glorify Jesus Christ. He shall receive of mine, and he shall show it unto you. We th- it's not a game or a joke when we pray and we ask God, hey, who do you want together to go out and knock doors? It's not a game, it's not a joke when we say, God, what direction do you want us to go? Which houses do you want us to knock? He said he will guide us, didn't he? You believe the Bible? When you, you should ask God on every step of this thing, and he will guide you. And it's not the Holy Spirit's fault. It's not God's fault. When you leave him out of it, don't ask God and do your own thing. And don't get mad at God when you fall on your face because you left God out of it. You repent and you say, God, I'm, I messed up. I need you. Thank you for the chastisement to show me that I need you. And too often times, what will happen is somebody will leave God out of it. They won't, they won't go to God and say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Guide me in truth. Show me which doors you want me to knock. Show me which ones I ought to skip over. Show me when to leave and when to stay. And you ask, these are not, it's not a game. It's not a motion that we just go through. It's an earnest calling and crying out to God for the Holy Spirit to dwell us and dwell in us, give us a burden and to convince sinners. We cannot leave the Holy Spirit out. And when you do not pray in earnest to God, that's exactly what you're doing. But the Holy Spirit will glorify God. 
And the Holy Spirit's the one that imparts new birth. Look at this. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. We'll try to wrap up here in a little bit. But this is the word of God. (laughs) This is what we're here. This is the whole purpose. And we're dealing exactly on the topic of witnessing. So we want to hear what the Bible says about witnessing. John chapter 3, verses 5, we'll start in 5. Jesus, oh, we'll back up. This is Nicodemus comes up to him, right? And he's he's real confused on the whole born again thing. He's like, well, I've already been born. How do I get born again? And Jesus answers, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. spirit. He didn't say sinner's prayer. He didn't say walk an aisle. He didn't say, cry your eyes out. He said, you have to be born of the spirit. The spirit is what bears new life. He can, unless that happens, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The spirit is what bears new life in a person. Not your fancy words, not your great abilities. The spirit is what does it. If somebody gets a hold of the truth that you're preaching to them, I want you to get this because this will keep you from getting all puffed up in your pride. This will also keep you from being discouraged is that Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit deals with that person and bears new life. He's the one that does it, not us. Having said that, he sends us and fills us. I don't want to beat a dead horse too long, but it's so important that you get a hold of this truth because it's uh, people don't get this truth all across the land. And then they don't witness. They don't, they don't win souls because they get, they don't have this truth here. It's so important to grab this. The devil has used this, this lack of doctrine known in the church to divide and to split churches and also to, 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 Create a bunch of people that are so either puffed up on their self that they have a bunch of false converts because they don't know this truth. And it's plain in your Bible if you just read your Bible. I'm not making stuff up here. It's scripture. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. He quickens. You were dead. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, quickens them. All right. Now, I, I want to get to this real quick. As far as the Holy Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit to the, to the lost sinner. Now we're going to deal with the Holy Spirit and the believer. Okay? As the, we pray for this area, right? Yeah. We prayed what? That God would soften hearts? Yeah. We prayed that God would prepare the area? We <laughs> prayed that God would protect this area before we even got here, right? Yeah. And we can see the fruit of God doing that. When you knock on doors and you're not just slamming the, we didn't have one person slam the door when we came up here that Saturday. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. And you see people that are willing to hear it. That's because God has done a work on the heart before we even showed up. These aren't games. And it is in line with the scripture that the Holy Spirit will go before us. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter eight. This is the Holy Spirit helping us to be the witness we ought to be. The Holy Spirit will go before us. Uh, Romans, I'm in Acts. Whoops. (laughs) Romans 8, 
14 here. And it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You are led by God. Hold on here. You're led by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is what leads us. All right? The Holy Spirit is what led us to have this tent here. The Holy Spirit is what led the tent to be up in Yankton. The Holy Spirit leads on which neighborhoods to go hit because we can't hit them all. The Holy Spirit has to be the one to lead us in the ministry. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 45. And if somebody would also grab Isaiah 58, verse 8, and be ready to read that. And I'm sorry for those on audio here. Read your Bibles. Pause it and get to the Scripture if you need to. Because the Word of God is true. But we got a lot of Scripture to get to here. So if somebody will grab Isaiah 58, 8, we'll get to that in a second. Here we're at Isaiah 50, 45, chapter, or verse 2. Look at this. Uh, we'll start verse 1. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of the kings to open before him the, the two leavened gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee and will make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. God can go before us. And loose people before we even knock on their door. And they're in bondage. You could see it real clear in Yankton. It's here as well. But you have Catholicism is bondage right here to make the application. What we deal with a lot in this area is a false knowledge of God. They think they know God when they do not know God. And God, we pray and ask God to go before us. And put doubt in their mind and show their heart, I am not saved. I do not know God. And they will be seeking. But not because of what you did, but the Holy Spirit prepped them. You know, Brother Joshua, you talked to a couple down here, and so did you, Brother Pastor Sutton. And and down there, and they had got the gospel, what, three times already? That day? That's not a coincidence. And then they came last night, praise the Lord. And we'll keep praying for them. But that's, that's as clear as day, God going before you and loosening the bars and entrapments that they were in. That's right. We need God to go before us. The Holy Spirit goes before us into battle. He needs to. We need to pray and ask God to go before us in the houses that we knock. Go before us with those who are going to show up at this tent. We need God to go before us. The Holy Spirit will do that. We have to ask him to do that. He also goes behind us. Isaiah 58, 8. Anybody have that? Okay. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy rearward. <laughs> Did you catch that? The glory of the Lord shall be thy rearward. God goes behind us. And that's so important to grab a hold of because when you leave a place, God's still dealing with them. We need the Holy Spirit to drive home the scripture because the Bible says that scripture will not return void. So when you give the gospel to that young man, young lady, older man, older lady, 
and you share the gospel with them and they sit and they listen. It doesn't seem like it's doing anything. The Holy Spirit is doing work even after you leave because he gets your reward. Yeah. He's behind you. Yeah. He says, all right, you gave him the scripture. You showed him the gospel. And he comes behind and says, hey, what about that judgment? How are you going to fare? Yeah, you gave him an answer that you might, are you, are you, what about that? And he'll deal with the heart where you can't. He's got our back. When we're gone, the Holy Spirit's not done. Amen. And then the Holy Spirit sometimes will lead us back to a place we already went. Yeah. I've seen that several, we had that Catholic lady get saved. Yeah. God sent us back over there. He did more work on her that I cannot explain because the bars of Catholicism are thick. And the Holy Spirit came in there and broke those bars down and gave that lady the truth. Praise the Lord for it. He's got our back. Now he also goes beneath us. Deuteronomy 33, verse 27 here says, The eternal God is thy refuge. And check this out. Underneath are the everlasting arms. And he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee and shall say, destroy them. We, we sing that song, leaning on the everlasting arms, right? Yeah. He's beneath us. He's holding us up. The Holy Spirit picks us up as we go from place to place. And when you feel let down, cry out to God. He'll pick you up. And the Holy Spirit will be beneath us. So he's before us, he's behind us, he's beneath us. He's with us. Go to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. And somebody grab John 14, 17. Matthew 28, 20. This, is, this was exciting to me. I needed this because without the Holy Spirit helping us, without the Holy Spirit working within us and going before us, we are nothing. We are shot. We're done. Because I know me and I know myself and I'm not no, a smooth talker. And I know that I have no power in of myself. But if the Holy Spirit does something and the Holy Spirit can use this old rotten, low-down, dirty vessel and clean it up and make it meet for the master's use and does work. Then we've got something. We've got the Holy spirit. And that's so important to a ministry like this, especially it's important to every ministry, but it's so important that we recognize and realize and call upon the Holy spirit to work. All right. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. We'll, we'll back up here. To verse 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations, that's the nation of America included in that, people say America is not mentioned in the Bible, but there it is, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and, the Holy, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, amen. Who's with you? God is. His Holy Spirit is with us Always. Amen. Always. Uh, who has John 14, 17? All right, if you'd stand and read it. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. <laughs> this, 
Holy Spirit is within us. He's within us as well. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord that the Holy Spirit is within us as well. You know, he put something in here that I really liked. I'm just going to read it here. It spoke to my heart. It talks about the modern tactics of evangelical groups make soul winning the work of man through means of manipulation, gimmicks, psychology, ploys, salesmanship, and one man persuades another man to repeat a prayer and perform some sacrament or fundament. We don't use sacraments. We use fundament, fundamentalism. Okay, okay, so I, I've done all the things I'm supposed to do. This is a result of a lost man having done the bidding of a saved man without any resulting conversion. And that's exactly what we see going on today. We see the sales tactics. We see all that, but we do not see the work of the Holy Spirit because they left the Holy Spirit out. And then what's, what's bad is then you have lost people that do not have the Holy Spirit proselytizing. Right. And they don't know the Holy Spirit themselves. Exactly right. We need the Holy Spirit to go before us, beneath us, behind us, yeah. within us, with us. To guide us in truth. To prick hearts. And the Holy Spirit says he'll do that. And we need not get stuck on where that seed goes. We sow the seed. We sow the seed with the Holy Spirit and let him do the work. And we do it for the glory of God, not for the glory of this ministry, not for the glory of ourselves, but because it gives God glory. And we study his words and hide them in our heart and the Holy Spirit will help you with that. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your words. We thank you, Lord, for an opportunity, Lord, to preach the gospel, Lord, to share the gospel, Lord, to testify of what you've done for us, Lord God. It blows my mind away, Lord, that you would save me. And I thank you for it, Lord God. Let that never get old to me, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for saving my soul, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help us today, Lord, as we testify for what you've done for us to be a witness, Lord, of what you've done, Lord, for a lost sinner, Lord God. To continue to tell the old story, Lord, of what you've done and are doing, Lord God. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we'd seek you in every way that we go, Lord. We need to seek you, Lord. Don't let us just go do our own thing, Lord God. We don't want to just walk in our flesh, Lord. We don't want to just go do our thing because that's what we think, Lord God. I pray, Lord, if we get into doing our own thing, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would chastise us, Lord. Don't let us just walk off the deep end, Lord. Don't let us just go off in our flesh, Lord God. Lord, I pray, Lord, you keep this ministry, Lord. Keep these, keep the, this, this ministry honoring and glorifying to you, Lord. Fill it with your Holy Spirit, Lord God. Guide it, Lord. Don't let it be taken over by man's, my, man's pride and, and fleshly stuff, Lord God. We don't want that. Lord God, we need your help, God. We need you to help us, Lord, and guide us. We need you to strengthen us, Lord. We need you to lift us up, Lord God. We need you, Lord, to search out wisdom, Lord God, in your words, Lord God. We need you to hide your words in our heart. Lord, I pray, Lord, you team us up the way you want us teamed up this morning. Lord, help us to be obedient to you, Lord. If we need to stay here and pray, 
Lord God, I pray, Lord, we be obedient and do it, Lord. Help us not to mind men. Help us to mind you and you alone, Lord. Help us, Lord, not to push off the Holy Spirit when it begins to prod and 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 show us where we need to go, Lord God. Help us to be mindful of you and just worry about minding you today, Lord God. Lord, help us just to follow after you, Lord. Fill us, Lord. Give us a burden, Lord God, for the lost souls of this area, Lord God. Lord, like Jeremiah prayed, Lord, help us to have tears, Lord, for sinners. Help us to have tears for our land and the wickedness, Lord, has fallen into and the destruction, Lord, to these families and men and women and children all over our land, Lord. Lord, help our hearts to break for them, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you'd rip off the calluses that our flesh has put out there. Help us to have softened hearts, Lord, that break, Lord. And help us, Lord, to be faithful, Lord, to seek you and to sow the seed, Lord. Help us not to be focused upon results, Lord, but to glorify you. We need that from you, Lord God. Without you, we have nothing. Without you, we can do nothing, Lord God. We need you, Lord, and that's what we're asking for this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.